Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. What makes a man who grew up in the American South suddenly sound like this? What do you do? I mean, my wife's looking at me, I'm looking at her. All of a sudden now, this deep Southern accent is gone and I, I sound like I do. And we just kind of sat in silence that night. Kenley Bird began speaking with that accent 13 years ago. It started when he had a mini stroke and developed foreign accent syndrome. Fewer than 100 cases have been recorded, though, as is the case with all rare diseases and conditions, many more are likely out there. And according to Professor Jack Riles, more women than men get it. Jack is a professor emeritus at the University of Central Florida in the School of Communication Sciences and Disorders, and he's one of the few researchers on the planet who's studying this super rare condition. Along with Nick Miller, he's the co-author of Foreign Accent Syndromes, the stories people have to tell. I would say it's a uh, condition where people typically, as a result of no neurological insult to the brain, end up with a foreign-sounding accent that, in the most controlled cases, they've had no exposure to foreign language. They have no uh, background in it. They often have never left the country of the United States, and they end up with an accent that, to their loved ones and their surrounding community, uh, sounds foreign, distinctly foreign. And there's variation in what particular accent results. You said an injury to the brain. Are we talking stroke, uh, hitting your head on something, anything else? All of the above. Um, Neurological insult, a stroke, a known stroke, although we don't always um, show evidence of uh, brain damage in neuroimaging. Sometimes uh, the, the insult to the brain is so tiny and minute and dispersed in the brain, such as the result of automobile accidents and traumatic brain injury. But there are a number of other causes that are not as typical. Our book came across um, quite a few. One lady actually uh, got it from a spider bite, from the neurotoxin of a spider bite. Also associated with migraine headaches, especially one-sided migraine headaches. And most of the cases, the neurological insult is in, around, or under the cortical centers that control speech uh, production. What kind of accents appear to be most common in the people you've seen? There's two broad classes of accent. One would be funny vowels and kind of sing-songy voice and that you do it there well, which sounds kind of Scandinavian, roughly, because some of those languages actually even have tones. The other accent is clipped and sounds Russian or Eastern European. That's the one that I found uh, twice in two 
ladies in Florida, uh, both of the result of an automobile accident. They drop articles and preposition. I go store, I buy baloney. Um, it's called agrammatism when they drop the little words of the sentence, the articles and prepositions. When I've been talking with my friends about putting this episode together, and I say, we're doing an episode about foreign accent syndrome, and I tell them about Kenley, uh, who's the main feature of this episode, and tell them about his story, there's a sort of what the hell? Yes. What is this? How does this even happen? What's your answer to what the hell? Several things, because I certainly have to explain it to friends of mine in that and incredulous people. If you are a tennis player, let's say, and you have a sports injury, maybe break your arm or whatever, you will learn to play tennis again because that's your passion. But you're probably going to hold that racket just slightly a little bit different, put the spin on the ball a little bit different. Now, you may be as as uh, capable of playing tennis, but there are slight motor control differences. And this is what I believe foreign accent syndrome is, is these slight changes in the hundreds of muscles that are used in speaking and uh, articulate rapid speech. Many people have more serious speech and language problems in the beginning stages, the first couple of days after their stroke or whatever, and they only start sounding foreign after a period of time in recovery. So I view it as kind of a stage of recovery, and some people recover totally, and some people don't. Their journey to recovery is different and unpredictable in a way. It just blows my mind because it's not like they sound like nothing or nowhere or an alien or another animal. They sound like they're from London. Right. In in your particular case, that is. Um, but you haven't heard other accents. Um, when you study them in fine detail, though, it turns out that they are not a constellation of features from one particular language, but you can find bits and pieces of several languages. So their tongue kind of trips around the globe, if you will, to a certain extent. And then you got to think of us as listeners. We as listeners do not have much experience, maybe no experience, listening to very, very mildly brain damaged speech. And so what we have a lot of experience with is picking up foreigners, um, detecting foreigners. And we that may be our foreign or different speech detectors in our brain may be something that have evolved very early in evolution, the we versus them, you know, being able to pick that up, um, but maybe not being able to put a precise label on it. That was Professor Jack Riles. We'll hear more from him at the end of the show. Kenley Bird was born in Mobile, Alabama, raised in Mississippi, and is now living in Florida. So a British-ish accent? It gets a lot of attention. Kenley was initially reluctant to speak with me. I will say this before we start, that you are my first and only interview um, in 13 years. Why did you say yes? <sighs> Honestly, so, you know, I am a, a, a monitor 
with a foreign accent syndrome support group. And one of the things that we've done, I guess, in my time there is to make sure that not necessarily that we're gatekeepers, but there are puff piece journalists that are so determined to do anything for the cheap, you know, the cheap attention. Um, one lady who lives in Indiana was actually given a beret, a French flag, and a toy Eiffel Tower to hold just because she's from Indiana and sounds French. And that was the that was the journalist's idea. And seeing things like that, I went, you know, probably not. You know, it's probably not what I need. It's not best for me. And so I, I saw your video. I heard your podcast about the rare childhood diseases and heard the the compassion, and the honesty that you had with that. And, and then I listened to your reincarnation show and I listened to about two or three other s- snippets. And the reason being, I wanted a sample, you know, I mean, if you if you gauge Hemingway only on the sun also rises, you never see the beauty of the old man of the sea. So there we go. Thank you. I'm English teacher, by the way, if you can't tell. <laughs> I picked up on that. Yep. Well, thank you for that. Your trust is everything to me. And so thank you. Um, I guess we, we should just jump right in. What happened in 2010? Uh, 2010, let's see, it was a Thursday night, I, uh, oh, Wednesday, I fell, hit my head, and had a mini stroke. Did not know at the time that I was born with three return veins in the base of my brain, and most people were born with four. It explains why I had high blood pressure all my life, and so they they never could figure out why. So anyway, the, I fall, hit my head, and, you know, just basic stroke repair, uh, just maintenance, trying to make sure that we're okay, everything's fine. And there was a little bit of aphasia. You know, I was on a cane for a couple of weeks. But in April of that year, because this was in that was in January, February, right at the end, right at the beginning, I was having this really bad migraine, and it was like lasting all day. And I had migraines now since the stroke and all. And I called my wife, um, my first wife, uh, rest in peace, was. My biggest supporter, and right after my stroke, I mean, we would check in every day during my planning period. How are you doing? You know, you're making it okay. And I remember telling her all of these things. I was hurting and what was going on. I remember asking her, you know, just say a prayer for me. She said that later, the only thing she could remember me saying was pray. So um, I start class. I mean, planning period ended, class started. Um, I'm talking to one kid, turned to talk to another one. Now, I'm talking to the first one. It's a deep southern drawl. I grew up in Buzzard Roost, Mississippi. Now, can you imitate what you sounded like? I've actually tried to do a southern accent or any other. I can't. I just can't. Uh, interesting enough, and on a side note, I was a theater major for two years. And then I decided to get married and start a family and, you know, went to education because actors have the second highest unemployment rate in the free world, second to dancers. So I went to education, found a passion for it. But while I was in the theater, I was forbidden by my directors from using a British accent because it was so bad. And now I'm stuck with it. <laughs> I know, right? So anyway, I'm talking to this one child. I go to correct another one who's talking in the front row. And I turn to her and immediately this comes out. Hey. You're going to keep talking like that. We get the phone out. We call your mom, yeah? And her eyes got very big. What happened to your eyes? I didn't hear it. Not at that time. And she said, Coach Bird, why are you talking like that? Because I used to coach as well. I said, like, what? And I heard it then. She said, like that. And I said, I don't know. 
And I get home that night and what do you talk about? You know, what do you do? I mean, my wife's looking at me. I'm looking at her. All of a sudden now this deep Southern accent is gone and I, I sound like I do. And so, you know, is it, you know, is he faking? Is he trying to watch too much Doctor Who? What's the deal? And we just kind of sat in silence that night. I did some research, stumbled on an interview that I had found probably seven months earlier, six, seven months earlier, Cindy Lou Romberg, who lives with uh, foreign accent syndrome. And I saw her piece and I went, wait a minute, this may be it. And not, not a hypochondriac, but this makes sense if this is what it is. So later that night, I went on to sleep. And my wife told me the next morning, she says, I want to apologize to you because I was wrong. So what she said, I didn't, I don't know if you're faking or what initially, but I woke you up in the middle of the night to put your CPAP on. And you didn't fuss. You said, hey, give me a second. I'll put this on. Yeah. She said, in your accent. And that's when I knew right then it was real. And I went, well, thanks for doubting me there, babe. But uh, she was like my greatest supporter. Uh, and up until her passing and my wife, the wonderful, amazing woman I've met now, um, she is the greatest supporter. Uh, she's a nurse. And so uh, she's a nurse. I'm a teacher. And she had at least heard of it a little bit. And she kind of prepped her family on the front end before they met me. But and that's all she's ever known. But like I said, and she's I mean, she's even told people you should hear him talk in his sleep. It, it's it's there. It's not. He's not making this up. Trust me. What do we know about foreign accent syndrome? Because what the hell? <laughs> well, that one. That's a great point. Um, my neurologist that I found, he said, "I'm going to be honest with you. Something happened because you sound like this on your voicemail, but you sound like this now." And I'm going to be honest with you, you've got a 1% chance of your voice returning because we don't study it that much. It's not life-threatening. He said, but, you know, I don't know what to tell you. We can try to set you up with speech therapy. I, I thought about it, and I chose not to. My, my grandmother, actually, I was talking with her, and she said, so don't be a fool. Don't do it. And I went, well, she said, well, think about it. If you spend all your time chasing that, and it doesn't change. You're just going to be frustrated. You're just going to be worrying. It's going to bother you. So don't be a fool. We can understand you. Yeah, yes, ma'am. You can still teach, can't you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Your family has no problem with it. No, ma'am. Well, then don't be a fool. And at that point, I went, you know what? My job is dependent upon me communicating. So if I'm going to be successful, I've got to do that. You know, I've got to learn to communicate with it. From what we understand, and if you look at like on the Wikipedia page, it says there's like 62 people. That was whenever I was diagnosed 13 years ago. So, it, I mean, as you can tell, even that's not maintained very well. Um, that the accent's really, it's a speech impediment. It's in the ear of the listener. You're hearing something and you're going, okay, so where's he from? He's not from around here. And you start trying to piece it together with what you know. When this first started in your life, uh, I mean, it was night and day. It was one day you sounded like you, and now you sound like this. What kind of reactions did you get overall from the people who were used to your old voice? It's really a mixed bag. I had a student that refused to be in my classroom. Uh, I was teaching eighth grade at the time. Now I teach ninth grade and tenth grade uh, writing and literature. 
a teaching eighth grade history at the time, and I had a student, refused, would not be in my room. The, the assistant principal actually had to talk to him and explain and like show videos. I mean, he was just adamant. I was trying to just do this for attention. And there were individuals, you know, there was some pushback. And, and looking back at it, I get it. I mean, it's one of the craziest things in the world, if you really think about it. Yes. 30-something-year-old Southern American, soul-to-the-earth, backwoods country football coach and teacher now sounds like he needs a sonic screwdriver and trying to pilot the tortoise. When people ask, where are you from, what do you say? Well, it all depends. If you were to ask me, especially like to explain my story, I would tell you, tell you the whole thing. Um, most of the time, like it, it, for instance, at the beginning of the year, whenever I start off, because you always have a new group of kids. I teach ninth graders and they're coming up from middle school. And this is my first year here at this institution. I said, okay, so know what you're thinking. He's not from around here. You're right. And I told them where I'm from. It's about 40 miles away. And they said, no, 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 really, he's wandering. And so then I tell them, now, originally I'm from Mississippi, and I moved to Florida. And then I explain. And the kids are great because, you know, they just want to know. They're respectful. They are curious. And I don't care. That's fine. Let's tell them everything they need to know because we're going to be together for a year. We're going to build those relationships. If it's someone like, you know, just in passing, oh, where are you from? You know, someone's trying to be smart about it. I always just say, so where do you think that I'm from? Smart. I let them make their guess because they're really not guessing to engage me as an individual. They're only guessing for their own amusement or, oh, I thought so or whatever. So regardless of wherever they say, hmm, how about that? Look at that. And I just move on. That way you don't have to lie. Because you don't want to lie. Yeah, I don't lie. I don't, I don't plan on it. But do they really need, you know, five to 10 to 20 minute treatise on well, what really happened to me? And why I don't sound like, you know, where I'm from. Because like, we'll go to Waffle House or to Cracker Barrel or something. And I'll order grits because I love them. I'm the only one in my family that eats it. My wife won't eat it. The kid won't eat it. So I'll order it. And they'll look at me like, you know what that is? Like, yes. Well, some salt, some butter, and a little bit of pepper and some cheese if you've got it. <laughs> That was Kenley Bird. He's one of fewer than 100 people in history who are known to have had foreign accent syndrome. When we get back. I've been asked before if I wish for my other voice to return. If it comes back or if it doesn't, I'm 100% at peace and I'm okay with it. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. 
I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. We're talking with Ken Lee Bird. After having a stroke in 2010, his deep southern Mississippi accent turned into one that sounds pretty British. He's one of fewer than 100 known people in the world who has had foreign accent syndrome. And while most people recover within a year or two, Kenley has had it for 13 years. Let's get back to our conversation. So you spend a lot of time managing this in terms of like people who meet you for the first time or, you know, understanding the dynamics that people you're standing, you're standing out in a certain way because you're in the United States and you sound like this. So there's, there's a lot of managing it, which I imagine is both fine. You can take it rise to the occasion. It's what you got. It's the hand you were dealt, but I also imagine it's really frustrating. What is awesome about having this? One thing, it opens a lot of doors. People hear you speak, but I'm still able to communicate. I can still teach. And I think it's also, in a lot of ways, made me more compassionate to people. Not saying that I was like cold-hearted and ruthless, but you never know what people are going through. You never know what people are experiencing. And, And I think maybe through that, it is. It's an invisible illness. There's no, there's no treatment. You know, some people go their entire lives and they keep their accent. I'm one of those so far that we know of. Um, some flip in and out. And there are some that lose their accents. Uh, I know one lady that she lost her accent. She doesn't have her old voice back. But it's, it's like a bland Midwestern accent. She's from Florida. So, I mean, it's taught me to be compassionate because it's easy It's easy to ask for compassion and ask for mercy when you need it. It's hard, I found, or was harder for me then, to give it out when someone doesn't ask or when they don't really deserve it. And I think I've learned a lot about that at the time. And it's been a 13-year journey, you know, but, but we're here. We're still going. You contributed your story to the book, Foreign Accent Syndromes, the stories people have to tell. Uh, The title of your part of the book is I'm Still Me. How are you not still you? Oh, that, wow, I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, Honestly, I think I used to could sing a little, and now I have trouble staying on pitch. But when I sing, and I'm not going to do it, but when I do sing, uh, it's, you know, it accesses a different part of the brain, and I sing without my accent. Whoa. Well, think about Elton John, Keith Urban, the Beatles. Of course. But yeah, you, you, even George Michael, you know, they don't sing with their accent. I mean, Madonna tries now, but I think she's just trying to put it all on, but that's another story. But, you know, you think about it, it's just controlled by a different part of the brain. Yeah, other than having to make sure that that I'm clear in what I say and that I take my time. Because sometimes if I get really tired or frustrated or there's a barometric pressure change, it gets very thick. Like it almost sounds Scottish. Scottish is an accent that I am 
defenseless around. Like, in fact, I've never been to Scotland. I'd love to go, but here's what would happen. I would land in Edinburgh. I would get off the plane and like a napkin would fall out of my pocket. And then an old, ugly man would say, excuse me, miss, you dropped something. And then I would fall to my knees and propose marriage. And then I'd spend the rest of my life with him because I have no defenses to it. So, so I wonder like if you could choose any other accent than the one that you inherited from this stroke, which one would it be? Oh, wow. Goodness. You're asking some interesting questions today. Um, I've been asked before if I wish for my other voice to return. If it comes back or if it doesn't, I'm 100% at peace and I'm okay with it. I know people that are so desperate to get it back and I understand it. I get it. For me, I'm like, I, I teach for a living. I have to be, you know, where I can communicate. And if this works and I can be understood, there's so much more in life to focus on. Well, if you could flip a switch, would you? Would it be? Maybe. I don't, I mean, I really don't know. I mean, I think I've just gotten so used to how I sound. And I mentioned earlier that it was like a prosthetic, but it's also what I've gotten so used to. Um, I mean, if it was to switch, if I was to flip, I, I don't know what it would sound like. I, I'm assuming I would probably be like, whoa, wait a minute, that's... Because there were times earlier on that I thought I heard it. Like, I thought I heard it coming back early on, and I would ask my family, and they're like, it's... If you did flip that switch, you'd, you'd almost have to reacclimate to it all over again. Yeah, and, and then almost get, you know, it's like everyone, hey, remember when I said this? Well, I didn't... You know, it's like, what would the headache be? So I think, yeah, I mean, if it does, it does. And those that care about me are not going to mind. Those that mind, then they have some problems. But my wife, she's never heard anything but. If it was, if I could pick anything else, I mean, I have no problem at all saying maybe my old voice back, you know. But then again, there's all those other things that go in with it. So I don't know. I guess I'm just so okay with who I am that it's not an issue anymore, really. When I think about your experience, I think about not being believed and having to explain yourself. I don't know what it's like to not be believed and have to explain myself all the time. What has that done to you? Yeah, it was very stressful for a while and trying to figure it out. And then maybe, like I said, six months in, I just came to the place where I realized Either this is a tomorrow thing that it goes away, or I die with it. Or it goes away in 40 years. How I react to it determines who I am, not how I sound. And, and I had aphasia um, after the stroke. I had mo trouble getting words out. Interestingly enough, that greatly diminished when the accent came. So who knows? I mean, maybe it accessed the part of the brain that processes them. I, I'm an English teacher. I'm writing an essay. I'm not a neurologist. But uh, yeah, when I came to that place and I realized, you know, there are worse things in the world that's going to happen to you. If you can work and your family can understand you and you can communicate, then go for it. And that's kind of what I've done. You run a private Facebook group for people who have FAS. Is there a common thread that you see woven through people's stories? Well, you know, men are definitely lower in number. There's fewer of us. 
But, I mean, you see a lot of individuals from a variety of backgrounds all over the world. We have members in Venezuela, Poland, Hungary, Germany, men, women, children, young adolescents that sound a variety of ways. There's some of us that could pass. I mean, I, like I said, my friend from Plymouth said you you could pass from someone from London. You'd get your vocabulary mixed up, but you'd at least sound correctly. Does anybody in the group form an American accent? Yes. I know of two individuals from Australia. And one of them actually sounds, I can tell you where to me she sounds like she's from, but then again, it's all in my ears. To me, she sounds like she's from Spring Hill Avenue in Mobile, Alabama. I mean, and I've even told her that. She has no clue where that is or what that means, but it, it's a it's a very affluent neighborhood. The speech patterns of the individuals there are fairly, fairly distinct. Yeah, I know a gentleman from the UK sounds like he's Italian. I'm a Canadian that sounds French. My friend Cindy Lou, who lives in Washington, she had had an automobile accident years before her accent changed. She sounds just Eastern European. So, yeah, I mean, that, and that's the thing. It's so, because it's not really an accent, it just it turns up in a variety of ways. Sorry. It's kind of adorable. And it makes me remember how glad I am to not be in school. So <laughs> As someone who was called to the office plenty of times. Um, in this group, in this Facebook group, what kind of things are people talking about? What are they posting about? There's the the whole frustration, you know, and losing voices and the, the possibility that it may come back. And, you know, then you have some of us that are over here going, it, it could, it, it very well could. And then again, you could be over here with me and it's all right if you are, it's no big deal. We know, you know, group members who their accent has left and then returned. And then some that switches throughout the middle of the day. So, you know, there's a variety of topics. And it's just really maintained and moderated to provide a safe place. Because, you know, if it's an open forum, people that are wanting information, they can get their information, but they still are privy to everything, that's, you know, that everyone says. Uh, we just kind of moderate it that way. Like, you know, I was telling you earlier about some of the reporters that we've had they're really trying to make a name for themselves rather than open up commun uh, communication and conversations about this. They almost make a mockery of the condition. And so I hate to be sound like we're a gatekeeper, but we at least try to provide a safe place and allow group members to feel like and to know that they have a place where they can speak. Their words are important and people are listening because we have a commonality. It sounds as though you have to the degree to which you can let go of resistance with this. And that is a beautiful thing. Re letting go of resistance from anything that we cling to, be it something wonderful or something painful, is really healthy. <laughs> so I wonder if you're letting go of resistance to what might happen to your voice in the future has gotten into any other parts of you. Like, are you more easy going now because this has taught you to float down the river. Oh yeah. A absolutely. My, uh, my oldest son, he asks a lot of times, like whenever he comes home to visit, he's like, what happened to you? <laughs> you, you relax a whole lot. I'm like, well, I've got an older son. Um, I have, I've, I've learned to take it easy. In fact, I retired this year from coaching after 21 years 
uh, on the gridiron, which was also fun when you start telling people that you're a football coach and they hear you talk. They think you're thinking soccer. And I, I played one one afternoon of soccer in high school. Too much running for me. I was done. <laughs> That's why I was a goalie. <laughs> well, we had a goalie that actually knew how to play. So I uh, shame for you. So, yeah, um, I've learned to slow down. I, I decided again, like I said, to, to retire from coaching and took a position only teaching. And so my wife and I, we do a whole lot of traveling now. Just that ability to realize that in the moment, some things are not important and some things are. Maybe it has just kind of forced me to, to slow, or not forced, encouraged to slow down and to enjoy what's going on around rather than what's going on necessarily always inside. Well, Kenley Bird, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me on. I, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure. Now, as far as we knew, this was the end of Kenley's story, but a few months after our initial interview, we got an email from him saying that the accent is pretty much gone. She said, you're still you. You're the man I met and fell in love with. You just sound a little different. She said, customer service is going to be a little bit different now. <laughs> I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. Hi. Hello again. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Well, um, I'm doing well. Kenley, you sound different. Yeah. Yeah, I do. What happened? This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. Today we're talking about a rare condition called foreign accent syndrome. In the last segment, you heard from Kenley Bird who developed this syndrome 13 years ago after suffering from a stroke. Well, two and a half months after our interview, Kenley Bird got in touch with us with an unexpected update. After speaking with a British-ish accent for more than a decade, it changed. So, yeah, what happened? I don't know. Um, I, I know that sounds, <laughs> sounds crazy, but... I the week that I contacted you, I had had a migraine for about six days, off and on. And I'm teaching, and in that moment, I was talking to my kids, and all of a sudden, it's like the headache lifted, and I don't know how to explain it any other way, but it's like it just eased up. And when it did, I went, "Oh, wow, okay." And I kept talking. It's like, no, there's no burr. Then whenever I got home, I told my wife and my my youngest, I texted my oldest. Yeah, that's that's it. How is this going in your heart? You know, when we spoke the very first time, um, I, I, I said, if it goes, it goes. If it stays and it's persistent until I die, it stays. And if it's another 13 years, it's another 13 years. If it comes back, it comes back. If it goes, it goes. Maybe now I sound like someone who's lived in the States for a while. Mm -hmm. Still there. You know, there's certain things that I say that are, that are still sound a little different. But as far as 
being asked if I, you know, need a green card or whatever, passport. It, it's it's not. And I mean, think of that. You just heard the T at the end of that word. <laughs> you know, I mean, that some of that it just blows my mind. You know, I said before that I, I it to me it's something to do with the jaw, the muscles, and everything. It's definitely looser. And I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know what to say, but it's like the muscles in my jaw relax even more. I mean, I'm still not like certain G's at the end of words, like fixing. I mean, but that's I'm Southern, you know, I grew up in the American South. So I don't think I have a draw, but no, it is what it is. Has anything like this happened before? No, no. Um, there were times early on that I thought maybe I heard something. And I, I kind of got my hopes up. And this I'm talking like this is like year one, year two. And my wife and my son, I'd, I'd be like, hey, did you did you hear that? And they went, heard, heard what? I went, was there any difference? No. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, I mean, All right, listen, I'm going to interrupt for real, one quick second. You and I, uh, we don't know each other that well, and we don't go way back or anything. You know, but we spent some time together for that first interview. And I had no other point of reference. In fact, I asked, like, could you imitate yourself? You're like, no, I can't even imitate myself and what I used to sound like. So I am accustomed to Kenley Bird in one way. And even just the hmm, few minutes we've been talking, it's like hurting my brain because I remember so clearly what you used to sound like. And now you sound like, I know you're still the same Kenley, but like, are you feeling like the same Kenley? How, how is this? <laughs> it, it feels like I'm, you know, because I told you when I sing or when I would try to sing that you get a glimpse of the old voice. And it's almost like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no difference. I mean, I, I just speak clearer now. I, I don't feel different. I definitely hear it. I'm fully aware of it. Just like you probably were when it first started. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I know it's not a thing. How are people reacting to you, your students, your wife, your your friends and family? In teaching, you know, like the the kids have been really good. They haven't, I mean, I, I didn't bring it up. I haven't said anything. They haven't said anything. It is what it is. He sounds a little different. Let's go. Um, I did have a coworker kind of look at me. And, and I've known this guy since I've moved to Florida. One day we were right after it happened. He pointed at his lips and pointed at me and went, is it? I went. Yeah, it's it's a little 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 calmer, and he's like, "I thought I heard something." Wait, wait, how could they not react stronger to me? This is amazing. It's so different, and they had years with you. Well, I, I think in this particular case was you know we have that history, you know. There's definite a grace, you know, and definitely that friendship. That's like, okay, yeah, I've, I've seen you at your best. I've seen you at your worst. You're not making a deal of it. I'm not making a deal of it. We're, we're just going. So what does your wife have to say about this? She's like, how did the kids react? How did other people react? She said, you're still you. You know, you're the you're the man I met and fell in love with. You just sound a little different. She said, customer service is going to be a little bit different now. <laughs> well, I mean, for the record, you, your voice is fantastic, no matter what the accent is. So <laughs> thank you. She's, she's right. I, I don't know how to explain it. and I, I really don't. I mean, I have no clue. Have you told the Facebook support group? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What'd they say? I told them before I I told you. In fact, the the first person I told, 
um, was a a good friend of mine from the United Kingdom. And I said, hey, you got a set? And she said, yeah, you're okay. I said, yeah. I said, uh, you know how I sound, right? And I sent her a voice clip. And she went, oh, my. Whoa, wait. And I went, yeah. Okay. Um, so if I interpret you correctly, 13 years of this different accent and then over a very short period of time, um, it just sort of shifted back into something that was much closer to how you sounded before. And you don't know exactly why. And now you don't know how long you'll have with this accent. Like, will will the old one come back? Will there be something different? Like, you just are perpetually not knowing. It's it's not even how I used to sound. I mean, it's it's a softer version of that accent. There's still words. When you listen, you hear it. You know, you and, and I think it's more of you You listen, you hear, you hear the vowel patterns, the vowel combinations, you know, like the AI sound, just like that. Um, it's there, but it's definitely softened. It's definitely not as prominent. And, you know, I, I guess maybe it's because I had to take that into consideration and, and, and adopt that, that mindset that, you know, this is OK. It's not ideal. It's not perfect. I don't really have a whole lot of explanations, but you know, it, I, I, for lack of a better word, I, I don't know what to do. You know, as far as, you know, do I, I'm not really just kind of making a big deal about it. I mean, you know, it's life. I think I spent so much time early on trying to to show that, you know, everything was good. You know, hey, I'm okay. And I think I'd wa- maybe I wasted a lot of energy with it. But now I'm like, it could be a whole lot worse. And rather than, than being so frustrated at, okay, what's next? You know, just kind of living in the moment. I mean, the back of my car tag is K-R-P-A-Y-D-M. And so I've kind of adopted that for a long time. And maybe maybe that's just the kind of the key to it here. Uh, again, it, it I know it's odd. I know it's strange. Uh, imagine how I sound, you know, how, how I, how, you know, for 13 years. You're going, will I ever get my old voice back? What would it be like? You know, would it bother me? And so we're just going to take it one day at a time and, and live. And who knows? Maybe this is it. I, I know other people who have lost their accents, who in, in the United States, who sound, you know, like a more Americanized version. And, and maybe that's kind of the, the same here. Because it doesn't go in and out. It is what it is. Your voice is something so intimate. It's utterly you. And your voice has been changing without your consent in one way or another for 13 years. Do you think that's why you like to stay in the moment? Or do you think that's why it's so important for you to stay in the moment? Because I adopted that that philosophy, I think after becoming a widower and uh, that really helped me keep grounded in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I've I've said it before that for me, when my voice changed, it was almost like it was a prosthetic. You know, it wasn't what I was born with, but it's what I had. And so I was going to use it the best of my ability. And the same as here now, the way I sound, yes, it, identifies me in a way that you can identify who I am, but it doesn't define me. 
and it never has. With it changing, with it modifying, with it modulating, however we want to call it, I don't really have, have an answer for it. I just say, you know, like I said, it, it's not what I was born with. It's not what I've had. But I can still teach. My family still understands me. And it, isn't that enough? I'm excited to see what comes next. Who knows? Thank you so much, Kenley. Thank you. I told Professor Jack Riles, our expert on foreign accent syndrome, about what happened with Kenley and asked, is it possible that Kenley's accent might change again? Oh, yeah. And I believe that the ones who don't have an obvious point of neurological insight, a big lesion in the brain or something like that, as it is often the case with traumatic brain injury after automobile accidents are more likely to recover than are the classic stroke patients. With Kenley, I believe he only had a TIA, a transient ischemic attack. So there isn't a place that they can see specific brain damage. Um, so he's similar to what you might uh, encounter with an automobile accident. So it kind of jives with the person likely to recover. What is odd in his case is the time lapse between the two. I haven't really, usually their recovery in the early stages after the neurological insult is an indication of how they'll be over a long period of time. So if there's some change and improvement, even mild improvement, Early on, that indicates hope for a bigger change. How long was his uh, interval in between? Uh, like 13 years or something like that? Yeah, 13 years. That is untypical. And that's a new standard for me, a 13-year difference between the two and before. So I'm thinking about how to end this show, which has been a roller coaster. Learning about this is fascinating, getting to know Kenley, and then Kenley saying, I think my accent's gone, or it's certainly changed, and then hearing it again, I kind of wish I could end this show on a high note. Is there any way you can land this plane uh, safely and with hope and optimism, or is that just me being a producer? Well, yeah, the fact that he um, did get rid of his accent, even after uh, I would assume all hope was uh, gone about that. Um the brain is remarkably adaptive and can counteract the effects of even severe neurological damage. Um, there is evidence that the brain learns to rewire itself, reroute, make other connections. If we understood that process well, we could um, help people recover better. So I, I mean, it's a very encouraging story. 13 years later, you don't give up hope. Unfortunately, because he's changed, it's not impossible that he experiences setbacks or fallbacks, um, but he'll be equipped to deal with them. Another thing that is important, I think, though, is a person's attitude with the damage and what they have. Is this really awful thing? Woe is me. Uh, I want to you know, focus a lot of attention on that. A more useful approach is oh, I have been spared much more debilitating condition of speech, such as aphasia. I'm still able to speak. It's just this little 
accent that gets in the way. And maybe that's not an awful thing. So people who have a more open um, view of it and that this is not uh, the most debilitating thing to deal with seem to have better period of adjustment. I think also there are, from these experiences people have talked about, that they come to a point where they accept themselves and accept the accent in that. Certainly that process is facilitated when the loved ones around them are understanding and encouraging. If the medical community does not believe their accent and their own family members don't believe it, it's a pretty rough ride. Well, Professor Jack Riles, thank you so very much for talking with me. It's been my pleasure. Good luck with your uh, program and broadcast and send my best to uh, Kenley. Jack and I just scratched the tip of the iceberg about this condition, so we'll have a link to Jack's book, Foreign Accent Syndromes, the stories people have to tell at ctpublic.org slash audacious. And hey, Kenley, thank you for trusting us with a snapshot of your life right now. It doesn't matter how you sound. I mean, your voice is fantastic in any accent. We are so glad to know you and grateful to have heard your story. Audacious is produced by a team of people who go above and beyond every day to bring you these amazing guests. This one was brought to you by Jessica Severin Martinez, whose compassion and flat-out stellar research skills made this show possible. Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski made this episode shine, and we are all in it together with you here at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. I would love it if you shared this show. You don't even have to write a heartfelt post about it or a sincere reflection on what you think about it or how it changed the way you see the world or yourself. Right, you can just share it. I'd love that. Thank you. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf. Or if you're old-fashioned, you can send me an email, audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening.